God, thank you so much. Again, just uh, we thank you that you've promised if we ask, if we seek, if we knock, that you will, you will answer. Uh, you will allow yourself and the answers to be found, and the door will be open. Thank you, God, that uh, even as Dan prayed just f- for all of these requests, thank you that we pray in faith, knowing that you hear, and you are a good Father who is omnipotent and omnipresent, that if you hear, uh, you delight to give answer. So thank you, God, that we have faith um, in these truths. And, uh, and thank you, God, for how you've redirected our church, how you've, you've really just given an, a renewed focus, a renewed alignment. I thank you, God, for how you've answered our prayers for that. And, uh, and I pray that, God, as we go through these values, Lord, that you would, you would bless us, you'd help me to, to communicate uh, the values that you desire for our church to be built upon and for us to live out. So give me grace to, to speak clearly and uh, allow each of us to be encouraged, exhorted, convicted, spurred on, Lord, to, to dig in <clears throat> to this work that you've given us to do here in Charleston. So, Lord, we love you. Commit this time unto you, and I pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Um, so before we start digging into the specific values, it's important to define what a value is, because I tried to do it in my own, you know, in my own vernacular, and I kind of struggled with it. It's a word that you hear a lot, but when you try to get down into the nitty-gritty, like what is a value, it can be kind of difficult. So I looked up a definition. I think it's pretty good. Um, a value of an institution or society or family even, a value is, is the principle or the standards that make distinctive that particular entity's pursuits, beliefs, and practices. So values, they shape what's important to the institution, what's worthwhile, and what's to be pursued by the members of that entity. It's true of a family. It's true of a business. Uh, a lot of us have ties to Clemson. The, the football team has values. You know, they have a, a vision that they're chasing after. It's kind of silly. But needless to say, values are important for any entity, for any community that's pursuing a, a shared vision and mission. The, and it's because the values of a community, the values of a church, is going to drive its beliefs, it's going to drive its practices, its ambitions. Thus, it's going to set its culture and trajectory for the future. And really, any entity, any family, any church has values. They have values. Whether or not they're you know, specifically spelled out or not is another question, but the, the, whether or not they have values, they, they do. Um, and you can recognize them just by looking at what do they do. What do they talk about? How do they live? What are their practices? What are they aiming at? And you can kind of go back from those and you can, you can find their values. And honestly, it's important to spell out the values, to be clear about what they are for really any community and any entity because, again, values will be there. And so if you're not clear about what, all right, these, are gonna be, these are our values, these are our principles, these are going to be our, our, guiding, our guiding truths that set the standard for where we're headed, if you don't set those out, then they will come from somewhere. They'll either be adopted from, for the church, they'll either be adopted from the world, they'll be adopted from maybe another entity, another community, but you have to be intentional about spelling out your values because they're going to come up. And you don't want to just, want them to just appear out of nowhere or to just come from other sources other than the scriptures. So it's important that we set these out, right? It's important that we're intentional about what they are, what they mean, and why we have them. Um, and not only should our values be like intentionally spelled out and then pursued, but they're also going to have to be protected as well, right? Because we've, we know just from the year that we've been together that we're in a spiritual war. 
that there is an enemy who is seeking to, he's seeking to put this work down. He's seeking to get us distracted. He's seeking to take us off mission, right? But the promise has been given, and the gates of hell, they will not prevail as we advance the kingdom. Um, so these values, again, they're, they're, they're kind of those standards of belief, those standards of practices of who we want to be. What we want to guide everything we do are these seven values. All right, y'all with me there? Is that, is that good? All right, so I'm going to, what I'm going to do, I want to go through, I'm going to go through four of them. That's my goal. I don't know if we'll get there, but I'm going to try to go through four. And then next week, we'll, we'll round out the, the last three. There's seven of them that, that we've landed on. So we'll do four today, three next week, and then we will covenant together as a church. Again, with that, we'll have a, a covenanting ceremony next week. In light of the mission, in light of our values, this is who we want to be. Um, and again, if it's something to prayerfully consider. If you're not ready to, to make that step to say, yeah, I'm going to covenant into this body by next week, that's okay. That's not a problem. It's not like if you're not covenanted in, you can't come, right? Uh, there's, there's members of my household, right? And so, so we have an identity as a Smith household, but that doesn't mean you can't come in my house. You know what I'm saying? That means you can't eat at my table, okay? But there is something too. If you're a Smith, if you're in the Smith household, well, there's an identity there. There's responsibilities. There's a trajectory where we're headed. All right? Y'all good? All right. So all that's an introduction. So now the first value, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's our first value as a church. And we describe it as following. Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, we seek to live our lives in full submission to the gracious, merciful, and loving lordship of our King. We're led by, submitted to, and wholly committed to obeying our good and gracious King in all things. There's a lot of passages. We looked at the Great Commission last week. There's a lot of passages where this value comes from, where even that description comes from. But Colossians 1, 13-20 is a great summation of the lordship of Christ. It says, He delivered us from the domain of darkness, and He transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's supreme. I made that. That's not in the text. He's supreme. That's what that means. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He's before all things. And in Him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. There it is. Jesus Christ is Lord of the universe and of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Amen? That's the gospel in a couple verses right there. That's it. That's why we're here, because of the truths of that text. And also because Jesus Christ is Lord. Because of what he's done, he has all authority. He has the supreme lordship. That's true of the universe. It's true of our lives. It's true of our church. The lordship of Christ really is where all faithfulness as a Christian and all faithfulness as a church begins and ends. It's right here. Jesus Christ is the Lord of all the universe, and he's also our personal Lord. Therefore, all that we do must be in sub submission to him, what he says, what he aims at, what he desires. He's purchased us with his own blood. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us into his kingdom as sons and daughters. And now he has claimed us as his people. He is our master. So to be a Christian then 
is to openly confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and then live all of life in line with that confession. That's what being a Christian is. It means that Jesus is your Lord and the rest of your life, the rest of eternity, we're, we're learning how to live for, further and further in submission to Him as Lord. If you want to be a Christian, that's what it means, right? So then a church is a covenanted assembly of a local body of God's sons and daughters, kingdom citizens, who together are striving to live their lives underneath the lordship of their king. That's what a church is. A local covenanted body of people who are submitted to the lordship of Christ doing that together and helping each other do that. So we need the discipleship that comes from one another in the church to submit ourselves to Jesus Christ. We need it, right? Um, We need the the hard words that come, the encouragements that come, the testimonies, the prayers of the saints, the good meals after a baby's born. We need these things to faithfully follow our King and our Lord and our Master, to submit further unto Him. So Christ's churches, our top value, the number one value that we want to champion is that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the Lord over each member's life. Therefore, each member of this church, we are to submit all aspects of our lives to Christ. But He's also the Lord over the church's life. Therefore, anything and everything we pursue or do as a church must be in submission to His Lordship. It must be a living out of His Word and a striving to conform and pursue His kingdom, not our own. (laughs) Right? This is the number one value. So the second value... Jesus Christ is Lord. Y'all with me? Y'all say that. There we go. All right, you're still awake. Good. So the second value is we are devoted worshipers. All right, so we're kind of working down. We're kind of working downwards from that. We are devoted worshipers. So we describe this value in the following way. To worship God is to treasure or value God above all things in life. That's worship. It's knowing God truly in our minds, prizing Him above all in our hearts, and then responding in love with our hands. So we are devoted to worshiping Jesus in all of life, from the everyday stuff of our lives happening in our homes, neighborhoods, and places of work, to all that occurs within the body life of the church. And we talked about this passage last week, Romans 12, 1, but Paul writes, after going through 11 chapters of digging into the gospel, he says in response, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What is worship? Presenting our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Well, what do you do with your bodies? Everything. (laughs) You do everything. So how do you worship God? What's your spiritual worship? It's to live all of life for Him in response to what He's done for us. There's one more foundational text, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Um, the Lord through Moses says, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, namely when you do whatever you do. (laughs) You are to do all of it unto Christ. So again, to worship Christ is to value, to treasure and to prize Him over and above all things in our lives. And that's the rational, reasonable response that we should have to Him, right? When we consider the life that He's given us, I mean, just the life that He's sustained throughout the night, right? Like, we're all here because He gave us breath through the night. It's not because your body's on some automatic ticker. No, God has sustained you so that you might be here. 
Every breath is from Him. Everything. The nourishment that comes from food, it comes from Him, the God of the universe. Everything. And then you think about the deliberate and intentional ways that we have sinned against Him, right? We sin against Him every single day. This God who loves us and given us everything, we deliberately sin against Him. And then, because He loves us and desires for us to receive with thankfulness all that He's given us in life, He has done what is necessary to save us from the eternal damnation that we deserve. He has taken the punishment that we deserve on Himself. He's bore the wrath that we deserve on the cross. He died in our stead. And then on the third day, He rose again victorious over sin and death. And then He's made a way through grace by faith in Christ's work that we might be saved. How else are we to respond to Him? Except to prize Him above all. To value Him above everything. Look at what He's done. Look at what He's doing. The gift of a new child. I mean, come on. This is how we ought to live. And it's funny. We think about worship oftentimes as like what we do when the piano's playing, you know? And that's an aspect of it. But no, no, worship is a, is a whole life lived unto Him. It's the only rational response after what He's done for us. And you think about it so often, how do we respond? How does the church respond? Now, this is great. Thank you, Lord, for a couple hours. Right? We give a couple hours. Every now and then, we give thanks to God. But instead, no, we're called to live all of life for Him. In light of all that He's done, we're to live all of it unto Him. A little aside here, but I, I think it's important to recognize. I think you would agree with this. But um, as I was thinking through uh, this value and then the scriptures that go with it, it made me think back on just my experience in churches. Like, we, we've, we, like you, I've been in a bunch of different churches. Okay, So been in church in Clemson, in Boston. That's where we met some of you guys, right? We've been to India, been a part of a bunch of different churches there. And then even this church here. And as you think about your experience in being with churches, and as I reflect on that, I'm sure you've got different, different responses to each of those experiences, right? Some of those experiences were really sweet. You feel like you grew a ton. You had this community that was, man, everybody was locked in, moving in the same direction. And then at other times, we've had experiences in churches where it hasn't been that way. Maybe it's felt like there hasn't been the vibrancy or the life hasn't been there. And it's not because the music wasn't good, okay? It's not because of the music. Don't, don't go there. I'm thinking about like an inward expression of the life of the church, okay? So I've, in my life, I was talking to Noy about this actually Tuesday morning. I've always thought that that vibrancy in particular churches was related to methodology. And what I mean by that is, how was the word taught? How is the music done? Do, do they have small groups or not? That's all methodology for living out our call as Christians. I thought... That's how I, I thought that the, the, the vibrancy was linked to the methodology. But that actually, in fact, is not true. The vibrancy and life of a community of Christ is linked to this value. Are those people truly devoted to worshiping Jesus? If they are, then the methodology, it's not that it doesn't matter, but it's really not that important. It's all about those people. Are they locked arms together in pursuing Jesus? Are they locked arms together to pursue a common mission? If they are, then the experiences of those brothers and sisters will be like no other. It's all linked to this, this one thing. Are they submitted to Christ as Lord? And then if yes, they are, then are they seeking to devote all of their lives to Jesus? 
they worshiping him, namely. So for us, Christ Church, that's what we want to be. We want that secret sauce. <laughs> the secret sauce is a covenanted body of people who are devoted to worshiping Jesus. That's it. That's who we want to be, right? Y'all want to be in there? Maybe I don't want to be on a team like that, a community like that. Come on. All right, so um, the third one, all right? So let's, let's, go, let's say the second one together again. The second, the second value is we are devoted worshipers. So you say. We are devoted worshipers. Okay, good. Thank you. Now the third one is we submit to the Word and the Spirit. We submit to the Word and the Spirit. And I'm summarizing this value in the following way. Our good shepherd, our Lord, has given us two authoritative guides for following him and worshiping him in all of life. The Holy Scriptures and the Holy Spirit. God's word reveals to us truth and the Holy Spirit guides and empowers us to live life according to this truth. Therefore, we seek to submit everything in our lives to his word and his spirit. And then a couple passages to ground, ground that, where that's coming from. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And then John 16, John 14 through 15 is really three chapters all about the Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is making these promises right before he's crucified. But it kind of comes to a climax in John 16, 12 through 15, where Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He'll glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit of God and his holy word are the two greatest gifts that we have received in light of being reconciled to God. But once we're reconciled to God, our lives are made new. We're born again. We're no longer walking in darkness. And then God begins his work of conforming us, sanctifying us, and remaking us into his image. And his two primary tools for doing this work in our lives is his Holy Spirit and his Holy Scripture. So the Scriptures reveal to us who God is. And in light of revealing to us who God is, it reveals who we are. And then it reveals what are we to do in this life and how we are to do it. Everything we need that we might be complete, equipped for every good work, comes from the Scriptures. David said it, right? Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Shows me the way to go, right? Reveals to us truth. But then, that's not enough. The Holy Spirit then takes this truth, writes it upon our hearts and our minds, and then empowers us to live it out. Okay, empowers us to live it. He convicts us of sin. He grants us to truly repent. And he helps us to put on the life that God has revealed to us in the scriptures. So the Holy Spirit within you is literally what makes you a Christian. Is the Holy Spirit within you. That's what makes you a Christian. That's what sets you apart. The living God has tabernacled into your life. He lives within you. This is what makes us Christians. For if the Holy Spirit is not within us, then when we hear the word of God, it does nothing to us. 
But when the Holy Spirit is within us and we hear the word of God, now it's like a seed falling into fertile soil. And the Spirit then germinates the seed, causes growth to come out, protects it throughout times and seasons and trials. And then by His grace and mercy and His timing, He causes it to multiply and to bear fruit. 30, 60, 100 fold. So without the Holy Scripture and without the Holy Spirit, we are without hope as individuals and as a body. Um, Because we don't know what to do. And again, the Word of God without the Spirit is void in our lives. And oftentimes, I know you've probably, again, going back to your experience in different churches and then even my experience, these two gifts are sometimes out of balance in churches, right? You've experienced that. There's be, there'll be an emphasis on the Holy Spirit and His work sometimes, and then sometimes there'll be an emphasis on the Word of God. And, and what, what churches need to strive to do, what we need to strive to do, is balance these two out. So again, if a church is highly emphasizing the Holy Spirit and His gifts, what can happen is it can eventually lead to a neglect of orthodoxy, which is revealed in the Scripture, which leads to a light, unimpactful, and oftentimes heretical understanding of God and the life that He's called us to. It's like, it's like having a full tank of gas with no engine. All right? You got everything you need to make the car run, but you ain't got no engine. All right? On the other hand, a church may highly emphasize the Scriptures and, and, and neglect the Holy Spirit of God, and the vibrancy that comes with walking with God and the, and the day-to-day experience of, of feeling the Spirit speak to you and lead to you, right? And what this can do is it can result in an archaic, detached, and often, often lifeless form of knowing and worshiping Christ. Again, this is like having an engine with no gas. Again, you ain't going nowhere, right? You might have a really nice engine, but if you ain't got no gas, you ain't going nowhere, all right? You got to have the two together. When you have a balance and a, and a good understanding and a devotion to both the Word of God and the Spirit of God, what you get is, is, is a car that runs, to go back to the illustration. Okay? you got an engine with gas, and you can run. So what we want to do, we want to emphasize both of these gifts that God has given us. But we've got to, get, we've got to do more than just emphasize them. The, the, the value is that we submit to the Word of God and the Scriptures. We submit to it. Now, that is not a popular word in today's vernacular, right? Individualism is promoted. Individualism is pushed. You do what you want. Matt, we were talking about fulfilling our dreams this morning. You know, this is like this crazy thing. So the word submitting, to submit, is not popular. So again, another definition. To submit is to accept or yield to a superior force or to the authority or will of another person. Did you catch it? To submit is to accept or yield to a superior force or to the authority or will of another person. So again, to be a Christian is to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and then to accept, yield, and obey His superior force, authority, and will for our lives. So in other words, to be a Christian is to submit to Jesus. That's what it means. You submit to Him as Lord. And if a man or woman is not in submission to Jesus Christ, and not striving for that, is not longing for that, is not growing in their, their submission to Him, then they are not a Christian. And then a church that is not in submission to God's will, is not in submission to His revealed plan for the church in the Scriptures, they are not a true church. Those, those are my words. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. 1 Timothy 4.1 He writes, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits 
and teachings of demons. And then John writes in 1 John 3, 4-9, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So the key in both of those texts is submission. It's not explicitly said, but that's the key there. What's the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous? What's the difference between those who are following the true word and the deceitful spirits? It ultimately comes down to submission. The deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons mentioned in 1 Timothy 4.1, they scratch the itch of our flesh. They scratch the itch of, of these lusts that we have in our heart. They appease our sinful appetites, and they speak to the little personal God that's inside of each one of us, right? That's what false teachers and false churches do. That's how they teach. They teach you, okay, well, in, instead of having to submit your sexuality to the Lord's revealed will for it, no, you, actually, there's a lot more freedom in that than what God actually said. That was then, this is now. That's, that's, a, that's from a deceitful spirit. That's a false teaching. And so what happens is we hear that kind of teaching, and what we do, we submit to that instead of to God's revealed word. We fall away. We can fall away, right? Submission is at the heart. So then how are we to protect ourselves, protect one another from departing from the faith, from falling victim to this? Well, we tenaciously seek to submit all of our lives to God's Word and to God's Spirit. That's, how, that's, that's the key. How do, you, how do you not fall victim to false teaching? You tenaciously seek to submit all of your life to God's Word and to God's Spirit. That's it. It starts personally. And it starts with a really simple step that we talk about all the time. Read your Bible every single day. That's it. Read your Bible every single day. We must make God's Word the absolute priority in our lives as it pertains to intake. It has to be number one. Otherwise, you ain't smarter than the, than the devil. Okay? <laughs> You're not. I'm not. We need this book to transform our minds, and it has to be every single day. So listen, if you're watching TV and you're not getting into the scriptures, then brother or sister, you value your flesh and your lust more than you do God's Word. That's just the truth. If you're listening to a podcast, if you're reading other literature, if you're intentionally bringing in some other input and you are not getting God's Word into your mind, well, guess what? You are not seeking to submit fully to God's Word. And his spirit, that's just the reality. Again, your values come from your practices. That's where they come from. So look at your practice and then go work backwards. Oh, here's what I really value. So what we've got to do personally, if that's you, and repent. Ask God for forgiveness. Lord, my, I have been saying the, the, the desires of my heart, the lust of my flesh is more important than your word getting in. God, would you forgive me? Would you give me grace to repent? Turn from this practice to, to truly seeking to submit all of my life to your word and to your spirit. Tell me to do that. And if you do that, well, guess what? Our good father desires for us to do that. That's what he wants. That's what he's after. That's what he's longing for. Yes, I want you to do this. I have life for you. I've got, I've got joy for you. I, I'm seeking to transform your mind if you would, but do what I've called you to do. Submit your life to him. But then secondly, as a corporate body, 
We've got to intentionally and deliberately place ourselves under the authority of Christ's Spirit and Christ's Word. So it starts with biblically qualified, biblically held accountable leadership. Again, so, so for me, as the pastor of this body, I've got to go back again and again and again to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And I've got to pray that God would conform me to greater and greater degrees to these qualifications that are seen here. And again, I've got to pray, God, would you raise up other men? Would you call these men into this? Would you raise them up that we could join together in this pursuit? That we would lead, feed, and protect the body as we're called to do. But it also entails us loving one another through having some really hard conversations sometimes, right? Just like I did just a second ago. Kind of called, called, called us out, you know, called, called you to the dance floor. We have to do that. Again, a covenanted body, that's what they do. We have hard conversations when we got to have them. If you see a brother and sister who's, who's living in sin, maybe intentionally or unintentionally, what the church does is we grab, grab them by the shoulder and we say, hey, hey brother, hey, sister, I've, I love you. I've seen this in your life. You've got to repent of this. We, 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 we value submitting all of our lives to God's Word and God's Spirit. And, and this action is not in submission to that. So, so let's do it. Let's go. We've got to be devoted to having those kind of conversations. So again, keep going on this, but I'll stop. Um, if we're going to walk faithfully with God, which means that we're submitting to His Word and His Spirit, we have got to do this personally, and we've got to do this corporately in abundant of different ways. Which then leads us to the last value I'm going to talk about, and then I'll, I'll stop. Um, oh, we've got to say it together, right? Do you all remember it? Do I need to remind you? I've talked a lot since then. Good. We submit God's word, God's spirit. Good. All right, so the fourth value we're going to talk about is we are a loving household of God. We are a loving household of God. So here's how I described it. In Christ, we've been adopted into the universal household of God. Dan was talking about this. We've been adopted into the universal household of God. And then we're gifted the grace of being covenanted together with a local body of believers. By the gospel of our Lord, Christ Church Charleston is a covenanted household of natural households. That's what the church is, a household of households. We're a household known by our sacrificial love for one another and are united together by our common confession, pursuit, and by the Holy Spirit. 1 Timothy 3, 14-15 states, Paul's writing to Timothy, he said, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And then Ephesians 2, 19-22, Paul says, So then you no longer, because of the gospel, because of what Christ has done, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. And in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So throughout the scriptures, the Lord, well, he does this a lot. The Lord teaches us through means where we can understand him, right? You see this, Jesus doing this with the disciples all throughout his ministry. Well, the Lord does that with us to help us grasp what the church is. He uses a, a number of different metaphors throughout the scripture. The church is called the body of Christ, right? You've heard that one. Composed of many members, working together to complete the aim of its head. Who's the head of the church? 
Jesus, good. That's a great church answer. Then the church is also the temple of God. There's that one. Where the members of the temple, the members of the church are like stones being built upon one another until, and all of it being built upon the foundation of Christ, right? But one of the most referred to and probably one of the most important metaphors used in the scripture for the church is household of God. You see it both testaments, you see a lot that the church is the household of God. So a couple of reasons why I think that's important. There's all these clear lines that go from a natural household to the household of God. Things that are occurring in a natural household that then carry over into the household of God. So just like a normal household, there are members of the, we talked about this already, but there are members of the family and then there are those who are not members of the family, right? It's the same in the local church. We're sons and daughters of the high king who have been adopted into his universal family, but then there are others who haven't. There's in and there's out in the kingdom of God. It's not all in, in and out. It's based on conversion, God's work of regenerating hearts. But then in that universal household, again, there's those local households, these local households of faith, where again, there's people who are in it and who are not in it. Those who have covenanted together, they have a common faith, baptism and confession. They are a local household of faith, meaning that local household of faith has special responsibilities, privileges and rights as members, just as members of a specific household have. Y'all with me there? All right, and then secondly, just like in a normal household, there's, a, there's, a, there's different roles, there's different responsibilities, and there's even different authorities, right? It's the same within the local church. While we're all members of the priesthood of God, we're not all men, we're not all women, we're not all elders, we're not all deacons. And even within those different segments, there's different spiritual gifts. Not all are apostles. Not all our teachers, not all our evangelists, not, you know, there's all these different spiritual gifts that God has individually uh, given to us. And yet, within a local body, just like in a local house, just like in a natural home, there's, there's a husband, there's a wife, there's children, right? And there's different roles, there's different authority levels, there's different responsibilities for each one of those placements. So in the house of God, it's the same. There's different giftings, there's different roles, there's different, there's different things that we are called to do. Thirdly, within each natural household, there's a different uh, ethos or culture being lived out, right? You know, like the Smith household and the Morgan household are similar in many ways. We're seeking to obey the same commands. We're both submitted to the same Lord, right? And yet, the way we go about doing that is a little bit differently. You come spend a week with me, you're going to see some things, and then you go spend a week with, with Dan and Chloe. You're going to see some di- you're gonna see some similar things, but you're going to see some differences too, you know? It's going to smell a little different. Morgan House probably smells better. you got Master Baker over there. Um, our house smells really good, too. you got two babies, too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. But, but the, so the ethos, the culture, it's going to be a little bit different in between the two households, yet two households that are distinct from one another. It's the same within God's household and, and between local, local households, right? And that's good. That's right. That's God's intention. Not every church is supposed to look the same. Not every church is going gonna, is gonna to have the same culture. That's intentional because we're different. We're different. That's how God's created us. It's beautiful. There's unity and diversity, right? There's a wonderful aspect of how God's created the universal household, that there's diversity in these little ones. And then maybe this is probably the last thing I'll point out. Again, there's a lot of these, but the last one just for the sake of going is to point out there is in natural families and in the household of God, there's a hierarchical nature to both of them. In a natural household, there's authority structure that God has given. 
Paul writes in Ephesians 5, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. The husband, he is called with this position to lead, protect, and take complete responsibility for the direction and happenings within all of his household. That's his role. That's what he's called to do. And the wife is to submit to his leadership and then serve as a helpmeet, pushing and undergirding the mission of that household. The two work together beautifully, and yet there's these distinct roles, and there's even different authority there. Well, just like in a natural household, so the church has structure as well. Christ is the head of the church. He is its ultimate authority. He has rule over the entire universe, over the big church, and over every single local church, every single local household. However, he's given elders in the church as underheads and under shepherds to lead, feed, and protect his body. That's what they're called to do. They're to rule, elders are to rule well over the household of God and to exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have them. Again, there's all kinds of different ties that you could go between natural household and the household of God. But all that to say, we are, by God's grace, we will be a loving household of God. That's that fourth value. Y'all with me there? All right, I'm going to stop talking. We're going to move to some, some application. But next week, I'll go through the remaining three of those values, and then we'll covenant together as Christ Church Charleston, which is truly a gift to us and is truly a gift to the local context that we find ourselves in. It's a gift, us covenanting together as a local body, it's a gift to us because with it comes privileges and responsibilities that are special to us as a local household. But it's also a gift to the world around us because covenanting together is yet another work of God, God working towards His ultimate aim in the world, which is to cover the earth with the knowledge of His glory like the waters cover the sea. That's what He's doing. And His means of doing that are His people making disciples, his people planting churches, establishing them, then localizing themselves together, and then in time multiplying off and doing this over and over and over again. So as we covenant together, and it's, that's, that's part of that vision going forward. That's what, it, that's what it is. That's what it looks like. So it's exciting. And I pray that, uh, man, that God would grant us strength and power to, to, to be the church that he calls us to be. All right? So let's pray, and then I'm going to give us some questions to, to apply with. Father, I do um, I thank you for the gift of your church that you have sovereignly given us um, a local household where we can be known, where we can know one another, where we can have a specific and unified local mission. God, where we can together call sins out in one another's lives, but then also have it called out in one another's lives. Thank you for the local household of God in which we can exercise the giftings that you've given us for, for, for the good of specific people in our household. Thank you, God, for your word and your spirit, these guides in life, these authoritative guides. God, we pray for that you would give us grace to submit to them. Thank you, God, that we can live that that living for you and, and, and worshiping you is not just a Sunday thing. It's all day. It's every day. You'll be with us to the end, you've promised. Thank you, God, that it's your, it's your pleasure to empower us to worship as we ought. And thank you, Jesus, that you truly are the Lord, Lord over the universe. We long to submit all of our lives to you for the sake of this city. Lord, we love you and pray this, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.